You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. As you can see, we're trying to make a couple of improvements around here. We got a little opening for the show now. Uh, moving on up in the world. But this is Rico Muhammad. I'm your host for tonight's Rates and Lanes podcast. And we have on with us special guest Hank Seaton of Seaton um, Transportation Attorneys. We want you guys to have uh, some information that's coming down the pipe. So Hank is going to come on and try to break some of the stuff down to us and, and uh, get us prepared for some, some of the things that we may not know that's coming down the pipe with this URS regulation. Also, we are going to do the show as we normally do, and we're going to start off tonight with the uh, USDA truck rate vegetable report. And we don't want to take a whole lot of time on this because we want to get straight to our guest and get to the information that he wants to get out to us. But uh, the only markets that are showing a slight shortage with the USDA truck rate report that you might want to focus on this week and the upcoming week is the, in the southwest Indiana and southeast Illinois districts of the uh, United States. Those are, that is the only area that is showing a slight shortage of truck availability. All the other areas uh, that are showing adequate and some areas that you want to avoid real quickly that are showing slight surpluses is Kern District, California, Oxnard District, California, Salinas, Watsonville, California, Santa Maria, California, South District, California, Big Lake Central, Minnesota, and central Wisconsin, all of those areas when it comes to any type of produce right now are showing a slight surplus of trucks. So your rates may not be the greatest in those particular areas. The areas that are showing surpluses probably are going to get taken advantage of or exploited on the rates. You want to take your backhaul with you if you have to go into these markets. Uh, that are showing real surpluses in trucks is San Luis Valley, Colorado. Texas, Mexico crossing through Texas, Yakima Valley, Washington State. Those areas you want to take your backhaul with you. If you have to go to those areas, make sure you try to get a premium because if you're coming out of there, you're probably going to be walking the plane. All right, so that was the USDA truck rate report. Let's move right on over to DHE's trend lines report for this week, August 9th through the 15th. And Van and reefer load availability increased for the third consecutive week, but so did truck posts and so did the load of truck ratios fell slightly while flatbed load volumes and ratios increased. National average rate declined for vans, reefers, and flatbeds. Let's take a deeper and let's go in for a deeper look by each segment, starting off as we always do with the U.S. van segment. For August 9th through the 15th, load availability rose last week up 1.6%, but truck postings increased 2.9%. That combination yielded a 1.2% decline in the load-truck ratio from 1.9 to 1.8 loads per truck nationwide for dry vans. Load availability fell 25% month over month during a typical slow July. While truck capacity held steady, the load to truck ratio fell 25% compared to June from 2.4 to 1.8. Compared to the exceptional trend of July 2014, the ratio fell down 
44%. Also, let's move over to U.S. van rates. And van rates fell for August 19th through the 15th. Van line, van land hall, line hall rates dropped two cents for the national average down to an average of $1.76, 77 cents per mile. The low to short ratio fell from 1.2% down to 1.8% from last week. Rates fell five cents in July. The seasonal July low led to a five cent decline in the average van rate compared to June including a two-cent drop in the average fuel surcharge. Total rate of $1.82 was 21 cents below the July 2014 average due largely to a 20-cent decline in the fuel surcharge. Going up country really quickly, starting out in the northeastern portion of the country, the national van rate was averaged out at $1.80 per mile. Moving down to the southeast, the average rate coming out of, uh, sorry, that rate that for that $1.80 per mile out of the, uh, Northeast, that was a rate reported out of Philadelphia. Moving down into the southeast, uh, Atlanta reports an average rate for dry vans at $1.79. Midwest reporting Chicago, $1.96 per mile on average for dry vans. South Central United States coming out of Dallas showing an average of $1.70 per mile. West Coast City of Angels wraps up the dry van average report, reporting the high water mark at $2.02 per mile coming out of the City of Angels, Los Angeles. Moving on to U.S. flatbed demand. Flatbed load added 3.7%. Flatbed load availability recovered 3.7% last week. Capacity declined 1%, adding 4.8% to the national average load-to-truck ratio. It rose from 12.3 to 12.8 loads to truck, but the average flatbed rates declined 3.7%. Flatbed freight availability lost 34% during the July low, and capacity added another 11% compared to, com- compared to June. Resulting load and truck ratios dropped to 22.8, dropped from 22.8 to 13.5 compared to in the typical market conditions of June 2014. The ratio declined 63%. Moving over to flatbed rate. National average rate for flatbeds declined eight cents last week to two dollars and seven cents per mile, including a one cent drop in the fuel surcharge. The load to truck ratio increased four point eight percent, while which suggests that a seasonal transition is in progress. Rates declined six cents in July. Flatbed rates fell six cents in July compared to the June national average, due partially to a two cent drop in the average fuel surcharge. Compared to twenty fourteen, the total rate lost twenty nine cents including a $0.22 cents decline in the fuel surcharge. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this for dry vans, but the national uh, average price for fuel has remained unchanged this week. At the national average rate of diesel fuel is at $2.62 per mile. Uh, going across the country, coming in uh, for national flatbed average rates out of the northeastern corridor starting out there in Harrisburg, shows an average rate of $3.29, which also sets the high watermark flatbed rate averages coming out of the northeast. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta reports in at $2.48 per mile on average flatbeds. Moving up into the Midwest, Rock Island shows $2.36 per mile on average. Texas is the south central representative city showing a $2.31 average coming out of the south central portion of the United States. 
And Phoenix, Arizona wraps up the flatbed report rate report coming out of Phoenix, showing the low water mark of a dollar eighty nine cents per mile on average coming out of Phoenix, out of the West Coast. And finally, let's get over to the U.S. reefer demand portion of the report. Reefer load volume increased 2% last week, but truck postings increased 4.5%, so the load-to-truck ratio declined 2.4% to 4.5 loads per truck. Reefer rates dipped another one cent per mile. Seasonal slowness has led to a 24% decline in reefer load availability in July, while capacity held steady down 1% compared to June. The load-to-truck ratio fell 23% month over month, from 5.9 loads per truck down to 4.5 loads per truck. Compared to an unusual demand of July 2014, the ratio has lost 20.5%. Let's move over and check out rates real quickly for the reefer segments. August 9th through the 15th, reefer rates dipped another one cent as national average loss last week down to 2,004 cents per mile. As the load to truck ratio for reefers declined 2.4%. Due to seasonal slowness and falling fuel prices, July reefer rates were down 8 cents compared to the previous month, which includes a 1 cent decrease in the average fuel surcharge. Declining surcharges led to a July 2015 rates averaging 20 cents lower than July 2014, but line haul rates were steady year over year. So, Moving across the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Elizabeth, New Jersey, checks in for reefers averaging $1.88 per mile coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Lakeland, Florida is the southeastern portion of the United States representative city, showing an average rate coming out of Lakeland at $1.42 per mile for reefers. Moving up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, showing $2.74 per mile on average coming out of Green Bay, which sets the high water mark for reefers throughout the country. McAllen, Texas, is the South Central representative city, showing an average rate of $1.80 per mile coming out of South out of uh, South Texas down there. And wrapping up the report, coming out of Fresno, California, showing an average rate of $2 even per mile on average for reefers coming out of Fresno, California. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the DAT uh, trend lines report. And with no further ado, we want to go ahead and bring on our special guest, Mr. Henry Sheaton. Let's see if we got Hank on board with us. Hank, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Good evening. All right, Hank. Good evening. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. Uh, we're going to talk about a, uh, a train wreck that's going to involve some trucks here in October. And hopefully the Listeners can be uh, formed a little prepared for what's happening. Uh, about 10 years ago, Congress told uh, the FMCSA that they needed to go out and register all of the exempt and private carriers the way they do the regulated carriers. That's by obtaining evidence of their agents and their insurance. Uh, and uh, the agency is uh, dawdled with doing that for 10 years and decided to run it into a much more ambitious program. That ambitious program is called the Uniform Registration System, and it was announced about a year and a half ago with the target date of October 23rd. And in the run-up to October 23rd, 
there is a, a good deal of confusion about what this will mean in terms of motor carriers' regulatory compliance. And the best thing for me to say at the outset and in the middle and at the end of this presentation is if you're contemplating getting authority with the FMCSA, if you already have authority and are required in the next several months to update your MCS 150, whatever transaction you might have with the agency, a change of address, a change of name, get it done now. 23rd. The prediction is it'll be very confusing. There'll be a delay and it'll be much more difficult. And all of that is attributable to this URS. Uh, the intent was uh, basically to go out and register an additional 200,000 motor carriers on, on the website that currently we don't have agents or insurance for. But it, as the agency has rolled it out, it is going to be much more ambitious than that. They're extending their regulation not only to motor carriers, but also to modal equipment providers, uh, to, uh, in addition to brokers and forwarders and cargo tank facilitators. And they got the somewhat crazy idea that they do away with MC numbers. And those of you who are on the line and have your own authority know that your authority tracks to an MC number and your DOT license, which is uh, basically your MCS 150 and what they track you at the scales by is a separate number. Well, in part of what's supposed to come down October 23rd, MC numbers go away uh, and for brokers and freight forwarder numbers go away and there'll be a whole new list of MC numbers assigned to them. Uh, after that date, the application that you currently file for new authority on a form OP1 that can be filled in by fax or by internet will be replaced by a one-purpose, all-purpose application that is actually about 25 pages long. Uh, you're supposed to be able to fill it out online, but the protocol is not there for it yet. It'll be much more detailed a lot more confusing. In order to file it, you'll have to have, um, if it's an update, you'll have to have your PIN number. If you don't file it on time, they'll deactivate your authority. If you are a new carrier and you're filing for your authority, currently it takes about 23 days to get the authority. Under the new system, they're predicting that it'll be four to six weeks before the authority will be issued. Uh, so as you can see, hopefully there's a number of, uh, in, they say it's to reduce paperwork, but one would think that it's going to increase paperwork. In the past, it's been difficult to get a live person on the phone at the agency to help you if you had a, a question, but it's going to be even more difficult in the future because <clears throat> their notion is everybody's got a computer, everybody's computer literate, and these forms should be self-explanatory. So in anticipation of the roll-up, they've disconnected the phones to Washington, and there's nobody uh, uh the agency who can answer questions. So the agency touts this new system as uh, part of a census database cleanup, 
and they have over the past few months gone through called uh, the number of people who have DOT numbers uh, significantly. They say that since March of 2014, they have uh, called 228,000 DOT numbers from their list. Large number of those people were folks who wow. may have gotten authority uh, uh, 15 years ago and still had a number. They just hadn't gotten around to uh, uh, to cutting them off. Actually, it's kind of like old Mother Hubbard who has so many children she doesn't know what to do. Uh, the hard numbers for how many of how many active DOT authorities are out there now. Uh, varies by the season. The most recent number I saw was that there were still 534,000 people with DOT numbers, an estimated 2,000 of which, 200,000 of which will magically appear on October 23rd on the website. What they say is going to happen on October 23rd is all paper forms will be replaced in order for an existing carrier to uh, change his address or change his name or make a filing, he will have to have his uh, PIN number. So if anybody on the phone has their current authority and didn't fool with figuring out what their PIN number is, you better get it because that will be your way to be identified to make a, uh, a change on anything on the website. It's kind of interesting if you don't have your PIN number You'll have to request it, and it'll be sent to your last known address. So if you've moved and you're trying to tell them you've changed your address, you'll have to go hang out by the mailbox where you used to be to get your PIN number to do it. So I think as you can see, a lot of these things uh, are yet undetermined. The agency, to its credit, says that it's going to have seminars and webinars and outreach seminars in order to... Uh, uh, help people through uh, uh, this uh, new system. But, you know, we're now way on up into August, and uh, it looks like we could very well be jammed uh, for time. Since there will only be a U.S. DOT number to identify you, uh, we haven't figured out yet how, to the observer, you'll be able to tell from the U.S. DOT number, if at all, whether the carrier is whether the entity is a carrier or a forwarder or a property broker, uh, they won't be accepting any any paper filings whatsoever. There will be new requirements um, for insurance filings. Uh, all exempt and private carriers will have to have uh, BOC threes, which is uh, your list of agents uh, by April of 2016. We originally thought that everybody would have to make uh, insurance filings on October 23rd, but it looks like now that these uh, new registrants are going to be phased in as part of the biannual update. For those of you who are not really sure what that term biannual update means, that means that if you got the DOT number now, you're going to have to uh, update your census information on the month in which your DOT number ends. So, uh, for instance, if it ends in 01, you'll have to file it in January, for instance. And 
if you fail to file it, uh, they may send you a notice to your last known address, but then they'll just cancel your uh, uh, your authority without uh, uh, any uh, any any additional information. The cancellation of carriers' authority has become a real issue, uh, and that brings me to to another issue that that's particularly concerning. Um, my office. Uh, uh, specializes in helping people get authority. We do the agents for service of process for folks. But getting authority is uh, hasn't been a big issue in the past. Uh, uh, maybe helping getting the insurance and the agents and coordinating it all has been difficult. It's been somewhat difficult. Just getting the authority is probably going to be more difficult in the future. But the other thing that I want to alert you to is something called the new carrier audit. In the past, uh, it was initiated so that they'd have some way to verify that uh, the new carrier understood uh, what the safety regulations were and the audits were conducted at the leisure of the state officials sometimes during the first year of the carrier's operation. And by and large, it was fairly much a lenient system, I would say, in which the state official would come out and work with you and and uh, more like the old Tennessee ACES program, try to help you through it. Well, there has become a, a twist, I think, in the enforcement issue that I, I've seen in the past few months, and it is that unless you request it, they... Uh, have a tendency to send you a very daunting and detailed list of all of the documents that they want you to present at the agency office and what amounts to be kind of a show cause order in a short frame limit of time to the unwary that can result in cancellation of your authority that you thought you were operating under. Uh, the problem that we really have with this for new entrants is there's not a whole lot of due process. Once your authority is canceled, and it may be because you didn't get the uh, the notice in the mail, there is a cooling off period of six weeks before they'll let you reapply unless you get a safety expert and, uh, and fight them on it. So we have seen a number of small carriers who Paid for their insurance in the first year of operation, they've grown to have five or six trucks, only to find out at the scale on Tuesday morning that their authority's been canceled and uh, that they've got nowhere to go with the trucks. So uh, I don't know whether or not this is all part of the old adage that the air is human. If you really want to screw something up, get a computer. But there seems to be some hard edges in terms of the of the system that uh, belies this whole URS. So uh, I think that the, that the take-home is uh, expect to encounter more compliance problems uh, in the future. Um, it, that's probably enough of a, of, a, of, a, of a monologue. Hopefully I haven't scared people uh, too much, but uh, as you can see, them changes, they are coming. And uh, hopefully if you... Uh, uh, have a DOT number, you'll recognize the importance of getting this uh, new biannual report filed. If you're thinking about going into into business, uh, speed up the process, get your application uh, filed before October, uh, and uh, 
plan on uh, needing to be much more uh, aware of regulatory compliance issues in the future than maybe you have been in the past. Yeah, I think that that is definitely one of the things that we want to try to do here, not only on this show, uh, but especially on uh, Kenny Long's show when it comes to getting your authority and everything else. We want to try to, best as we best possibly can, help get the information out there so that the people that, uh, you know, in our audience at least will be some of the best and well-informed individuals out here on the highway. And hopefully, you know, as, a, as a, one of our crew saving points is trying to help change the transportation industry for a better place can also just help pick up everybody's uh can help everybody um get the word out there. Now I got a couple of people that uh looks like we got a couple people that have some questions that we're gonna we get trying to get them screened in right now. If anybody has a question, go ahead and press the number one. That puts you in queue and the screener can get to you and we'll get you uh we'll get your questions up and on board with uh with myself or Hank. Um right now, Hank what so you're saying the best thing for a lot of us to do is if we're going to have to make any changes to people that already have their authority, by all means, go ahead and get it done before October 23rd. Was that the correct date? Yeah, that's the date that this new computer system goes live. And, you know, it's uh, it, 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 this is kind of like a warning that there's a construction zone ahead. Delays may be encountered. This this website is definitely going to be under construction about that time, uh, and uh, there will be massive new uh, filings and uh, required. And the agency, just in terms of issuing new DOT numbers to people, is is obviously got to be taxed uh, in terms of of its uh, uh, somewhat limited resources. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of like the first few weeks of Obamacare comes to trucking. You know, they, there's just no way that you can turn on uh, an electronic system and load it down and 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 not have uh, have some some serious uh, uh, problems. In that regard, right. you may want to take some some questions while we've got them, but uh, remind me to to mention how maybe what I'll call the alternative model uh, for uh, small carriers uh, uh, fits into the mix here uh, because uh, there's another countervailing trend that uh, may lead uh, more people who are currently owner-operators to consider getting their own authority, although uh, uh, it's going to be more difficult. Okay. Okay. Well, let's go. We're going to go and jump on. We got Jerry got a question for us. Let's get Jerry up and on board with us. Let's see here. Jerry, can you hear us? Yeah. Uh, All right, Jerry, you're on live with me and Hank. How you guys doing? Fine, fine. My my question is this URS. Is this the same that is being ran currently by, I think it's the state of Indiana, that we have to register with every year? No, you're talking about the UCR. UCR, the UCR, yeah. The UCR is a is is a state-run system that is the replacement for those of us who've been around for a while called the bingo stamps, and it's a regist it's a registration uh, uh, implemented by the states. You'll still have as part, and you know, we're my firm's kind of looking at this to help uh, help people because 
the FMCSA authority isn't the end of the of your compliance issue. You've got the uh, the UCR, you've got the uh, you know IRP. So you've uh, you, you've got a, a number of addition additional compliance hoops that you have to meet for the federal uh, various state taxing authorities as well. Uh, right. There is there was is an effort here to issue DOT authorities or to require U.S. DOT numbers to alert large number of carriers who previously considered themselves to be intrastate carriers because. The definition of interstate commerce is not that your truck crosses state lines. It's that the uh, not only your trucks cross state lines, but the freight you haul crosses state lines. So there is a much broader interpretation of what's interstate commerce than just that you stay within so this, the state of Texas. Okay, so it's, it's going to be a whole new bureaucracy then that we have to have to deal with besides the FMCSA now. Well, it is the FMCSA that is uh, going to this registration system. Uh, this registration system is just replacing compliance with the feds, as you've known it before. Before, okay. once you got your authority, you had to uh, to go through a new carrier audit, and then you had to watch out for your safety scores. But other than that, you had to file this biannual report on what's called a, an MCS-150, that's a one-page form. The, the new update that you'll have to file goes into a whole lot more uh, detail and is a whole lot more cumbersome report. It'll have to be filed electronically. Okay, this, this, like we, we updated now, I, uh, I, I've updated my 150 online and then printed out. And it shows updated. So it's the same thing there? Just four pages? Well, it, it won't look anything like your MCS-150. If you've, uh, if you've updated your MCS-150, you know it's, uh, it's really a fairly simple thing to update online. The, the totality of this URS um, uh, application although it does serve multiple parts, it's about 24 pages. So, you know, what we haven't seen it, you know, it may be that all we've seen is we've seen it in hard copy. It may be that if you want to change your name, there'll be a drop-down that says, tell us what you want to do, and you can hit change your name, and you won't have to go wait through 24 pages to figure out how to do it. But the, the protocol for how, that process could be simplified hasn't been shown. Uh, all we all we know now is, as you look at the application form, it's uh, really pretty pretty daunting. And uh, you know they may ask you uh, uh, five five questions and then have two pages of explanation. Looks more like a looks more like a uh, long form uh, IRS ten forty than it does uh, what it does now. Now you know I, I I I don't hold me to this. I mean I, I hope that they uh, they they say they're in the business of simplify it until we uh, see a prototype. Uh, we won't know for sure. But uh, those of us who who, who played around with uh, 
the hard copy that they that they released before, uh, you know, have found it to be uh, much more of a challenge. Okay. Uh, All right. Gary, did that, that, that get you cleared up? Uh, somewhat, yeah. Um, put him back on hold. We got a we got a few more callers. We got some questions. Let's move on and let's try to grab Steve real quick. Steve, you're up and live with Rico and Hank. What's your question? How can I help? Yeah, um, I think he uh, just asked the question. The URS and the UCR are two different animals. One seventy-four dollars the UCR. Is there going to be a fee with the URS? And is it something that, as an existing carrier, I need to go to fmcsa.gov and read more about? Yeah, it is. Um, it, I don't. I don't see any evidence that you're going to have an annual filing fee for that. The filing fees for authority is going up, uh, and, and frankly, I don't recall whether the uh, the annual uh, or the biannual report will have a, a filing fee. Uh, their, their thought is that the computer age is going to make it simpler and is going to uh, reduce their... Uh, 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 their their time, so I can't see why they would want to charge for it. Uh, and yes, the when the when the prototype and the alpha and the betas are tested and they get all the kinks out of it, sometime uh, presumably before October twenty uh, third, they'll uh, have demonstration models uh, on dot gov that you can that you can play around with and try to try to figure out. Uh, they say that they're going to uh, uh, have uh, have uh, webinars and outreach to try to teach it to uh, to folks, and uh, you know they'll have to, they'll need to. Uh, a lot of us think that there may be a, a soft landing, kind of like there was with the brokers' bonds. You know, they announced a, a date of October third, two thousand and thirteen. And then when they got up to it, they realized that the industry wasn't prepared, so they kicked it down the road a couple of months. Uh, it's foreseeable that, uh, uh, although they're taking a hard line on this date now, that you know sometime in mid-October they'll say, well, we need to do a little more testing, and uh, that, that date is not a hard date. But uh, in, in any event, uh, we won't know until we know. Okay, I had put Steve on hold. He had a little bit of background noise. Let's see if I can bring him back up. Uh, Steve, you had any uh, a follow-up on that? Yeah, is the, the biannual MCS-150 going to be in addition to the URS biannual? No, the 150 will go away. Oh, okay. We'll the, 150, the, the 150 the 150 will be, will be uh, the OP1, which is the application form, for new authority and the 150 will both uh, go away. The only way to okay. get new authority or the only way to do your biannual update uh, after the date this thing goes live will be through the computer portal to fill out the longer form applications. So if okay. any carriers that are out there that 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 need to uh, do their uh, MCS one, or, or you could go ahead and do your MCS one fifty, and, and with that, sir, take care of you 
Um, if you do it before October, will that take care of you for uh, for one year? Does that help buy you an extra year, or what's, what's your advice on that? You know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people, they've let you file your MCS-150 whenever you want to, and they, in the past, and they have logged it in to uh, let you uh, uh, make adjustments for the amount of miles you run and the number of equipment you operate because that plugs into the SMS methodology. So in the past, they haven't been particular about when it's filed, uh, but I think you uh, – I, I don't know how long in advance of the due date you can file it for it to count. I mean, obviously, you don't get a restart if you file it in January and it's not due until April. You don't get to then skip it for two years. Uh, but whether if you filed it in April uh, or in January, they'll put you out of business. If you don't file it again in in April, I don't know. I would certainly say that, obviously, if you've got a, a due date in, uh, uh, in in October or November, uh, something that you, you think you uh, might have a hard time with the learning curve, you should go ahead and... Uh, uh, make that simple filing on MCS 150 so that uh, maybe you get a reprieve. But uh, uh, if you're if you're interested in this and you want to, uh, Rico will give you my my email address. Uh, uh, my firm will have webinars on it. it. It it should as we get closer be available. If you're a listener to the show, uh, you know I'll certainly cover it in, in again in October and give you all some, some guidance uh, to the extent that your primary concern is a 150. If your primary concern is the filing of the new applications, we'll, we'll cover that as well. All right, Steve, you got any more, you got any more follow-up? All right, put Steve back on hold. We'll go uh, jump over down. We got Roderick that has a question. Roderick, you're on live with Rico and Hank. What's your question? How can we help? Hey, good day to you, gentlemen. Um, I'm coming upon my one year in September. Mr. C, that, um, my question to you is, I think you answered it already. Should I go ahead and update my information now or wait until my one year um, anniversary in September? Have you had your new carrier audit? I've had my new carrier audit and passed it with flying covers. Good for you. Well, the, the time for you filing your MCS-150 in terms of a mandate is governed by your docket number. And so it's due uh, on a biannual basis. That's every two years based upon um, the last two digits of your docket number. And um, I don't have that in front of me. You know, ordinarily I would say that if it ends in a, Ends in a one. It's January. It's two. It's February. But I'm not. I'm not exactly sure since they're twelve months of of a year and uh, it's biannual. Well, you know, at which point they look at the third docket to say whether or not it's an even or an odd year. But there is a there is a formula for when your uh, your one fifty is due, and that's that's the month in which it's due. Okay. So uh, okay. you know, I. I if you have uh, uh, 
uh, you know, it's, it's, it's based upon your, it's based upon your docket number. Uh, and, uh, you've asked a good question. I will, I will chase that down and, uh, you join us next month. I'll, uh, I'll be sure to have an answer for exactly how that system works. I think you can probably can go to the, uh, to the website and get it. I just know it's based upon the last two digits of your DOT number. Oh, I'm in front of a computer. I'll try to see if I can figure it out uh, before we get off tonight. Uh, my last two digits, my, you said the last two digits of your DOT, so it's 09 for me on my last two digits of my DOT. Yeah, well, you know, that would indicate that September is, is the year that... Uh, or is the month that you're supposed to file in? Let's see. Uh, as I said, I'll try to I'll try to get to, get that to, to you uh, while we talk. Okay, much much appreciated. Thank you guys. Okay, I'll continue listening. All right, thank you. Put you right back on hold. And just a reminder to everybody that's on the line: uh, this is uh, transportation attorney Hank Seaton. So we're talking about the URS tonight. Uh, in particular, but if you have any question revolving anything as far as transportation law, anything of that nature, uh, Hank can, can probably knock that out and, and give you a little bit of guidance on, on those issues as well. So if you got a question regarding uh, any other thing, anything uh, and involving transportation, transportation law other than this U.S. topic that we're talking about, you can also take your questions on those as well. Um, so, uh, Hank, we, uh, we like to focus on Getting uh, getting results and everything. We talked about the problem and everything. We, we, um, earlier we talked. We said that you guys may you guys are working on something to provide solutions to all. Of them. Yeah, uh, as a uh, as an adjunct to uh, our uh, service of process agent program, we've got a a program in which we have a motor carrier lawyer service carriers agent in each state, and we think that's a a kind of a valuable service because, uh, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you, if you get a ticket, if you got a problem about the Ohio hot tax, if you uh, are out and about, you got a registration issue in New Jersey, whatever your issue is, if you subscribe to our agent service, you've got kind of a, of a referral, uh, in each state to somebody who can help you get, uh, the competent regulation and knows a steering wheel from a fifth wheel. But to what we're, uh, are working on because uh, carriers' problems have gotten so much more complex in terms of compliance. Is offering a uh, uh, to members of SBA a, a broader base service that would be a a referral service that would have a, a use a, a system of, of proprietary webinars and 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 and, and things to uh, be kind of a sounding board for help, uh, help people get through the new carrier audit, mock audits, uh, help people uh, uh, who uh, uh, see their CSA scores going out of, uh, out of sight, help people that have uh, finance questions in terms of uh, factoring arrangements or issues with insurance. They're just a, a more uh, a broader base. It's kind of a service that uh, I'm, I'm currently able to offer to uh, carriers or members of little trade associations that, you know, have kind of an education background, but 
so many small carriers, uh, uh, you know, don't fit one of those niche carriers. They don't feel like they ought to necessarily be a, a player with with ATA, uh, but they they need the education and maybe they're domiciled in Indiana, but uh, most of the people that are part of the State Trucking Association are local and they're long haul. So it's just going to be kind of a, a resource to uh, uh, to help uh, uh, people with the, the various issues of compliance. Uh, we've kind of done it informally in the past for uh, agent members, but uh, uh, we think that maybe on a, a broader basis, it's, uh, it's something that needs to be uh, be offered across the board and you know i'll probably be talking more detail about it next uh, uh, uh next month but if anybody is uh, is interested in the concept and wants to get uh, you know on a, on a mailing list or something uh they can visit our website it's transportationlaw.net and uh, just uh, just send me a note and we'll uh, uh we'll get you on our email list to uh to follow up uh, it's uh I think uh, since the agency doesn't have anybody at a help desk anymore, it's something people are going to have to reach out and get, and we're hoping we can can do it. Cool. All right, we got another listener that's got a question here. Let's go jump down and get Tara. Tara has a question for us tonight. Tara, you're on live with Recon Hank. What's your question? I can help. Yes, sir. Good evening to everybody. Um, My question is, we have, we're not a new carrier. Uh, We've established that already, but our authorities are new. And I was trying to find out um, when should the the audit um, actually be finalized or do we have to schedule that because no one has come out to audit us yet? I think you need to contact your state authority once you once you uh, uh, go through a mock audit, or you're you're pretty well sure you're ready to have them come. Uh, what I have seen is I have seen that people have just waited for them to show up, and mm-hmm. then, uh, for some reason, maybe the uh, uh, one one of the major problems is. Uh, uh, people who file the application don't know where they're going to be, and they, their address may be wrong. So they send a, they send out a notice, and you don't get it. Uh, well, when yeah. you don't get it, they send out another notice to the address you're not at. Then the next thing they do is they put you out of service. So uh, I, I think they're shifting the burden back to you uh, mm-hmm. to schedule it and communicate with them. And certainly if you've been in business uh, approaching a year and you haven't heard from them uh i would uh, i would contact the, the the state director and say listen i'm a new carrier and i understand there's a new carrier audit uh you know i want to be proactive yes sir. because we have had a spate of, of folks who have, like i say have just been stopped at the scales and they say you are out of service mm-hmm. you didn't comply with the new carrier audit and in the past uh Past three weeks, I've had uh, 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 three or four people who have sent me a copy of this long computer generated. I call it a show cause order. It says basically you've missed your, uh, um, you didn't respond, you didn't request a new carrier audit. Uh, and we demand that you present in our office, and then there's a litany of things. 
um, a lot of stuff which is just put in the letter and isn't even relevant. For example, it's got a place that says your pharma certificate. Mm. Unless you're hauling, unless you're hauling something that blows up at night, you probably don't even know what that is. So exactly. I mean, uh, it's uh, uh, it's important. I think that you get ahead of that curve under this under this new uh, program that they're uh, uh, initiating. Uh, uh, you're going to you're going to have to uh, uh, you know initiate all uh, or bear the burden of initiating that yourself. Uh, yes. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. If you're if you're approaching a year and you haven't heard from them, uh, you know your your state director's office. There's still somebody who'll answer the phone there. I just call them and tell them I'm a new entrant. Under the new system, when you get your authority. Uh, when you file for your authority, you're going to get a DOT number, but it's going to be what they call a ghost number. <laughs> and the ghost number won't get in the system until your authority is granted. So not only are we going to have uh, USDOT numbers, we're going to have ghost numbers too. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Rico, you there, buddy? Uh-oh. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize about that. I'm still over here. My customer getting loaded, and they, they called me for a quick second. I had to step away. Okay. And I got a quick question. I got a quick question for you, Hank. Uh, I don't know if you deal with uh, much of the uh, uh, when you go through and do the data queue entry for the uh, on, on the CSA. Yeah. How much? Uh, if, how much of that has changed? Have they changed any of that to the point where? Uh, you actually have a due process with that, or is it still the uh, officer that, that wrote the ticket is still the judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to those things? Well, they've cleaned up, they've cleaned up some of it if it is a, a citable offense, and you go to court and you manage to beat it for any purpose it comes off. So, uh, you know, at least... Uh, at least that aspect of it is a little bit better, but uh, uh, there is still, to the best of my knowledge, no uniformity in terms of the way the states all handle the appeal, and it goes back to the states, uh, as you indicated. Uh, you know, in some states, it goes back to the officer who wrote the, uh, uh, who, who wrote the violation, and he ain't ever made a mistake in his own eyes, so... There isn't any really formal appeals process. In that regard, we had a visit. Uh, we visited the OMB in the past couple of weeks to talk to them about the new safety fitness determination, which uh, may pop out any day. And uh, we stressed to them that uh, until the agency could determine preventability of accidents, that all of the rest of their data was skewed by the fact that uh, you know, two-thirds to three-fourths of the accidents are not the carrier's fault if they're counted against him. And that's something in which I don't know that you can ever really get due process because that's why we have trials and you put somebody who's on the scene of the accident uh, on the stand to determine their credibility. When, you, when you've when got uh, accidents that are basically reported by the police who take it based on hearsay from the people that were there before uh, the accident occurred, you, you really don't even have a record made for determining uh, whether it was preventable. So 
that whole aspect of the uh, of of the system is 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 particularly difficult to drive hard data. If you were going to call balls and strikes on every accident, that would be uh, uh, approximately two hundred thousand mini trials a year just to determine whether that uh, uh, rear ender was the carrier's fault and. You know that uh, we tried to make the point to OMB that that was not part of a cost-benefit analysis. There's just no way right. I right. could uh, could scale that. Well, I had a, I had an incident happen uh, just yesterday. As a matter of fact, my my driver um, give you a little bit of background on that. I hadn't. I was going to try to reach out to Rick Gobble and the guys up at Nashville to see uh, see what they could be, see if they might be able to fish me out on this as well, but. Uh, Basically, the long and short of it is uh, I had a driver that got pulled over yesterday up in Maryland, uh, right outside of Baltimore, and the officer gave, gave her a level two inspection. And um, within that level two inspection, he said that uh, he cited her, he put her out of service, cited her for uh, operating a vehicle without the, uh, said the left turn signal wasn't working, and mm-hmm. also that she had a also that she had a flat tire. Uh, well, my driver never seen them actually uh, stick the tire to indicate any air pressure indication on the on the citation or anything. And I hadn't seen anything. Uh, I hadn't seen the paperwork myself yet because my driver's back on all the way back down to Atlanta. But um, when the uh, mechanic got out to my driver to, to make the necessary repairs so that she could be uh, released, uh, the left turn signal was operable. It, the, uh, the, sometimes the, uh, on the, uh, the electrical wire between the tractor and the fifth wheel, he just wiggled it a little bit. It may have had a loose connection, but everything was working properly, and the tire was properly inflated to 100 PSI. Uh, all the tires on, on, the, on the trailer that he said was flat was actually properly inflated to 100 PSI, according to TLT regulations. Um, I got that that little bit of a conundrum on on a personal level. That's something that I got to try to figure out and try to uh, and try to uh, see what I can do to fight and circumvent that. Um, any anything that you might want to, you know, for everybody listening, I, I use myself as a guinea pig on this one. Uh, how we can uh, anybody get caught caught in the situation? How we need to proceed? Well. You've got a tough one, obviously, because the uh, uh, you you basically got to hold the uh, uh, the the inspector up for not doing his job correctly. And you know, you, the the first thing is uh, what what can we get as evidence that the tires were properly inflated? Uh, I mean, you know, having your your driver say, well. Uh, he didn't check them. I did, and they were inflated. Uh, any third party uh, check the inflation? Uh, any uh, any uh, contemporary evidence to support her position that the tires were right. properly the, the, inflated? The, the, right. When the mechanic came out, the mechanics uh, come out because they have to sign off on them. They put you out of service. They have yeah. to sign off on the violation. So when the mechanic came out, uh, everything checked off fine. There was nothing wrong. And, and the only thing that uh, he, he wrote it up, the mechanic wrote the, wrote everything that he uh, found that, you know, the turn signal and everything was working. 
when he got there and uh, he wrote it up on his citation, he just basically charged us for coming out there to uh, coming out there. He didn't do anything. Well, I think I think in that case, if you do have the the inspection, uh, and he has timed and dated it at the way station, so that his time and date on the inspection uh, cars and they were out of service, so she couldn't move. Uh, I think you've got uh, you know the best evidence that you've got, uh, and you know I would put I would put with it that. At whatever we issued the attached uh, the attached violation, which uh, goes against our vehicle maintenance score, uh, you'll note that the allegation is that uh, the tires were under uh, inflated. Uh, here's a report uh, by uh, the mechanic who was called to the site that actually checked the blood pressure, uh, the tire pressure, and confirmed that that was in error. Uh, I think that's I think that's a pretty damn good defense myself, uh, and uh, you know I think you've got uh, contemporary proof, and I put with it that the uh, the, the the inspector failed to uh, uh, to put a gauge on it, and uh, at that point, uh, if if it uh, were not uh, uh, granted by the state of Maryland, I'd I'd go to von Steinberg with it. Okay. All right. I think that I, I, think, I think I think that's a I think that's about as good as you can get because it's not he said she said. You've got a you've got an independent uh you've got an independent verification for that. Now this this other problem about uh uh you know, them getting out and jiggling the wires until they're disconnected, I I've heard of that before. And uh, uh you know, I don't have a no, I don't. I don't have an easy. I don't have an easy answer for how you uh, do much more than bitch about that. Right. Right. Well, um, I know um, we talked about it before. You were talking about you were kind of putting on finishing touches on on, on the, the latest book that you were working on. How, how are we coming along with that as well? Because we get to be well, I've I've met with the editor, and you know we're we're basically looking uh, to get it out here in the next month or so. So. It's going to be. A, it looks like it's going to be about 250 pages long, and hopefully, it's going to. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be helpful. One of the things that I had uh, had mentioned that I wanted to uh, uh, to cover was this idea of the alternative method. I I think that most uh, guys who are independent contractors know that the. The model is under a whole lot of a whole lot of pressure uh, by the state and federal government to uh, uh, disqualify independent contractors as uh, as uh, as non-employees and to make them subject to uh, to taxes and penalties, which will uh, affect the model uh, and. Uh, I don't know where I don't know where the end game is. Uh, the, the the motor carriers certainly uh, want to deal with the uh, independent contractor as uh, someone who uh, has uh, the ability to make money if he works hard and uh, and uh, and prosper. And if he doesn't, uh, he doesn't do so well. And I I think that maybe to preserve the model. Uh, and truly being independent, more and more independent contractors uh, 
are going to need to consider getting their uh, their own authority. Uh, it, it gives them greater independence to uh, uh, maybe do a you know sixty percent with uh, uh, with some carrier, but uh, uh, then uh, you know use their equipment as as they see fit without being tied down. Because I mean, you know, as long as you don't have your own insurance or your own authority, you're always going to get uh, some uh, pushback about uh, uh, you're required to have freedom of dispatch. Uh, um, in order to have your independence, you don't don't have to. You can turn down a load, but uh, uh, when you're an independent contractor, it's kind of hard to uh, take a truck that's got the, the placard on it with. Uh, uh, you know, a, a major carrier and go about your own business. So I think in the future we may see that there is, uh, even though it's harder to be your own businessman, there's more money to be made and more freedom uh, to do it. And uh, I think there'll be support teams that come up behind uh, small guys to uh, to help them uh uh, you know, with the with the accounting and the compliance and those kinds of things, I'd be interested in uh, in hearing from people that are on the line in terms of, uh, you know, uh, as we've gotten into before. Some of the guys have had great success doing it, and other people have uh, have found that it's it's problems. I work with a lot of guys who start with one truck, and before long they've got uh, they've got fourteen. Uh, I know that. Some of the larger carriers are uh, uh, particularly desirous of getting folks that have their own authority to do what they call power-only provisions where they'll uh, pull a major carrier's uh, trailers and can then get the benefit of drop and hook and, uh, of course, higher levels of compensation. And I I just love to have some feedback of whether or not – uh, guys who are owner operators and have made that transition have seen it to be a profit. So, is there anybody on the line who's uh, who, who's gone through that uh, that migration? Uh, I'd I'd love to just know what the what the pitfalls and what the benefits are. The migration from being a leased own owner operator leased on to a, a carrier's authority to actually transitioning. Yeah, to in lieu of being yeah, authority. in lieu of being an owner. In lieu of being an owner-operator uh, with the carrier's uh, authority subject to his control and his insurance, getting your own authority, and then maybe working closely with the carrier through its broker or freight forwarder or affiliate, but without any uh, permanent tying relationship so that, uh, you know, you can uh, uh, go eastbound with one guy and westbound with another and develop your own plate on the side if it's seasonal. So I'm just saying you'd have truly more independence. I guess we know as a small carrier than, uh, uh, you know, being uh, under the independent contractor model. Right. And that's some of the things that we try to cover in depth here on, on this podcast. We try to, we, we definitely try to implore more people to, because um, when we talk about rates and lanes, the person that's leased on to a carrier doesn't necessarily have, as much negotiating power as if and they were an independent actually negotiating with a customer or with a broker, per se. Uh, some carriers, mm-hmm. there is some negotiation. I know that uh, there are some carriers that, that you can get a little bit of negotiating 
uh, back and forth with the carrier a little bit more than than others. But that's uh, kind of uh, when you're dealing with when you're least onto a carrier, it's kind of uh, yeah. It's usually it's usually a percent of the revenue, and you can turn down a load. At best, it's a percent of the revenue you can turn into the load, but then you may sit. So if you've got right. your own authority, you've got you've got greater. You, you've got you've got greater freedom, and you know you ought to be able to command uh, a better price. Uh, uh, and I, I think that the uh, I think that the major carriers are probably going to be driven to uh, 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 deal with small carriers uh, uh, more 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 willingly and give them the, the cream of the crop in terms of the freight because they're actually frightened about. Uh, uh, this misclassification issue, uh, you know, right. doesn't and matter. I'm thinking that and, and one of the things that we're trying to, like, that we've really kind of been crusading and harping upon here is we're really trying to get more, more and more people to get educated with more of the sales aspect of being a uh, business, being a, you know, being an independent motor carrier. Uh, don't necessarily depend solely upon dealing with brokers to be your only sales, you know, that, be your, your your de facto sales force. Actually, go out here and create the relationships and knock on some doors and actually start to establish some of those relationships. And that's some of the biggest. That is, uh, in my opinion, that is the biggest conundrum that most independents find and and have is that they are we are too easy to settle for the low hanging fruit of just being able to post our trucks on the bold board and settle for what we can get out of a broker versus actually doing the hard work and actually going out there and selling and meeting people and, and building relationships and establishing, uh, uh, you know, business relationships directly with um, shippers, direct shippers and everything out there of the, of the such. Um, that, that's kind of the next level of taking the next level of taking your business to the next level, rather, uh, when you can kind of go out there and start making that kind of a uh, headway and, and, and setting up those type of relationships in a, in a direct uh, response versus, Dealing with brokers, a hundred percent of the times, most of the times we're trying to we're trying to get more and more people to try to use brokers more as a supplement versus the main course. Well, yeah, and it, you know, it's it's for sure that if you have your own authority and go on the alternative model, then then you're ready to rock. If somebody in your hometown uh, wants to give you a, a uh, you know, a decent outlet pass where otherwise if you're flying somebody else's placards and bingos, uh, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not able to take that opportunity when it comes up. And so and, yeah, and it is a different, it is a different model and it, it is, you know, it, it, it obviously requires additional, additional red tape. Maybe you need a, a good, uh, wingman or wing lady to be at home to help you comply, but you should be able uh, to have greater freedom and hopefully a greater chance of success, too. I absolutely 100% agree with that. And the other thing that we try to do, and which is one of the reasons you know, that led us to try to get you to come on with us, is to help get people educated because uh, as far as with the laws are concerned, I mean, especially with your book that you currently have out that we've been we really been pushing, you know, protecting motor carriers' interest in contract. That's that's absolutely critical, especially if you're going to be um, dealing with brokers and you're going to be dealing with direct shippers. Know what it is that, that you know uh, we've talked about ad nauseum. You know, the dirty dozen and, and, and things of that nature. And if you happen to be new or 
your first time catching the podcast, please, by all means, go check out uh, Mr. G's book or go to his website, transportationlaw.net. And just look, I mean, uh, there, that website alone is, I mean, you could spend days on end just getting some of the information that, that Seaton has posted there with uh, the different links, the different articles uh, that, that are all very relevant if you are going to be an independent motor carrier, things that you absolutely, absolutely critical that you must know. It's not the sexy part of, you know, uh, about here getting, uh, uh, getting super-duper rates running up and down the road, but it's absolutely critical to help and protect your, your actual business. Uh, it's very vital that you know these different nuances or at least have some clue as to when you hear something or you see something in a contract or, you, you know, you read something to make your antennas go up and make you make you uh, dig a little deeper than just saying, well, this is what this is all that, that's being offered to me. Let me accept it and, and sign it, you know, and you sign away. You basically sign away your company and some of these, you know, some of these things, you know, uh, that especially that you talk about in some of the uh, factoring agreements and stuff like that when you first starting out yeah, and you, you know, know we think stuff, uh, you gotta get that we're we're thinking that uh ultimately uh, a menu of 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 resources and and packaging information uh in in the right way so that small carriers have checklists uh, i was just part of a I was on a webinar the other day sponsored by some insurance folks, and uh, they went through what was really a a very simple uh, checklist for DQ. Uh, And, you know, I thought, well, gee, uh, obviously for somebody who's facing a new carrier audit, uh, you know, uh, before they invite the people in, they need to to have this checklist and go down and be sure that they've... uh, they got what they're supposed to have because they can't create it after the after the dude leaves. So it, it's that kind of uh, of uh, uh, you know uh, handy and quick references to uh, to make available to people to see they can get through the compliance gaps that we're we're talking about to you know trying to focus on here. All right, Hank. Well, like I said, we're getting ready to wrap it up. Uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Anything? Okay, I've enjoyed it. Again, if if people if people are interested, probably the easiest thing to remember is transportationlaw.net. That's just transportationlaw.net written together. If you've got questions, uh, uh, just to go on there, get uh, get my email, and just question. I'll respond to you and. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe I can circulate it for other people to use as well. And I will be putting uh, the link to transportationlaw.net up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page for anybody that wants to know. I want to thank you guys, all the listeners that helped push the uh, likes up over 500 this week. We've actually crossed that threshold. We're up to a 511 likes this week. We want to keep that growing as well. So if you haven't done so already, go to uh, our Facebook page, Rates and Lanes with Rico Muhammad hit that like button and that way that anytime we post anything any information that we try to disseminate you can automatically get it directly sent to your timeline when we put it out there um with that said we like i said we'll get that link put up we want to remind everybody about the other shows and podcasts on the audio road network every uh tuesday at 7 p.m kenny long has his show trucking with authority uh, to call in and check out Kenny's show. You can always download all of the shows. That's a good thing about podcasts. Even if you miss the show, you can go to uh, lesstruck.com 
All of the shows have links there at letstruck.com. You can just click on the uh, host icon, and that'll take you to the page with that show, and you can go back and listen to every single podcast that we've ever done. Uh, it's, it's archived there. Uh, we'll put links up to that as well. But uh, Kenny's show is every Tuesday at 7 p.m. We also have our show here every Wednesday at 7 p.m., Rake the Lane. And on Fridays, you have Kim Cochran. She has her show, Destination Health. And on Sunday evenings at 9 p.m., Mike and Kevin Beckett have their show, Rolling Toe. Put a link up for all of these on the uh, Rakes and Lane's Facebook page. Want to Once again, uh, give our thanks and gratitude to Mr. Hank Seaton taking time out of his busy schedule to come and join us and get the important information about the UCR out there to us. And we want to be remiss in our duties to uh, not thank and appreciate everybody, all of the members of the Let's Truck team, Kevin and Lisa Brotherhood, for helping provide us the platform to bring this information to you. This is Rico Muhammad signing off live from Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you, everybody. God bless you and good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.